Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. How are we? Good. Hey, if you're uh, new to our church or haven't been in a little while, we spent the month of September in this series called Here Too, and it all was really a series on generosity and uh, generational legacy, if you will, and it all really stemmed around and, and worked around uh, this offering that we took last week. To uh, It was a building offering that we, we received uh, from all of you to make some improvements uh, in our physical space here, to kind of breathe some modern life into our building. And uh, if you are curious about anything that I'm talking about, the pictures are out in the hallway, and there's plenty of information still on the website. If you missed it or if you missed last week, um, we did take that offering. Um, and I am pleased to share with you that we had $428,889.09 come in last weekend. Come on. Which is, uh, that's a huge number. That is a huge miracle uh, God provided in a, in a huge way. And so here's, here's what I'll say just right on the front end is that I am, I'm like deeply uh, grateful for you all. I'm humbled to get to do church with you, to be part of this family. Um, we are going to move through all the projects that we have listed out for the sanctuary. Uh, that's what that number is going to get us to. So praise God. Next summer, AC. Can you say that, anybody? Come on. We are done with hot summers up in this room. So um, man, your guys' just response to that is incredible. Um, again, I, I want to remind you as I say a couple of these numbers that we didn't, I don't see any names that come in. I have no idea who gave what, but we had, over, we had right around 200 families participate in this. 200 different giving units participated in this. So this wasn't just a, you know, one big baller that wrote a check. This was the family of God coming together, making this offering together, um, which is incredible. Yeah, incredible. Um, you know, we really felt compelled that we didn't want to do, uh, we didn't want to do the big red thermometer all month. We didn't want to do, you know, pledge this certain amount. We just wanted to say, hey, uh, you pray about it. You seek the Lord and you give as you feel uh, accordingly. And so man, 400, 430,000 bucks is no small number for that. The other thing that was really cool is that we had, um, we had 19 new giving units. So people, 19 people who have never given a gift to the church before. Again, I, I don't know their names. I don't know how much they gave. That's, that's a priority for us is that we want to protect that anonymity. Um, but the fact that almost 10% of the people who contributed were brand new first-time givers to the church uh, is incredibly humbling. Again, uh, it's people jumping in, showing your commitment to this family. And so, man, if that was you, I just want to say I'm touched, I'm honored, and I, I can't wait to dig in and get to serve alongside you as family. Amen? Amen. Yeah, 19 new giving units. That was amazing. So, um, man, we're blown away. And we're going to keep going. Uh, I've had a couple of questions as far as like, hey, I, I missed that. I didn't know what you were talking about. Or, you know, I, we, we just weren't here that Sunday. Uh, yes, you can still give. You can, uh, on, online, you will have an option as you do giving online. You can select a building offering option and that'll designate your funds to the building offering. Uh, if you want to do that, either uh, I had somebody who has said, hey, uh, we gave a little bit now, but we're hoping to make a little bit more of a contribution in December. And so that'll be open for the rest of the year. If that's how you want to do that, uh, just know that. Um, and then the other thing to know is that if you just want to know, if you're just hearing about it just now and you're like, what are they talking about? You can go back, listen to the message series. You can see what it's all about. And if you feel compelled to give, you can give with a check or online and you would just designate building offering on your memo line. Uh, and that's, you know, we'll be doing that. We'll be working on the building for a while. We'll probably do AC sometime in the early spring when it's cheaper ha! and, uh, before next summer. Amen. Praise the Lord. So that's that on that, uh, like Taylor ruined, uh, the surprise for me, but 
you know, like I said, we were going to forgive him in my heart. Just we're going to do, we're going to do a series on Exodus. We're going to start a series on Exodus today, um, which is exciting. I, I love this book. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with the story of Exodus, uh, man, you're going to get familiar with it because we're going to be in it for the next 12 weeks. So we're not going to go verse by verse through Exodus. Y'all are like, you couldn't do verse by verse through Exodus, 40 chapter book. That's what you're thinking probably right now. We spent nine weeks in Colossians going verse by verse, and that's a four chapter book. So, I mean, you do the math there, and that's like a lot of weeks in this book, but that's, we're not going to approach this one verse by verse, but we're going to go idea by idea or thought by thought through the book of Exodus, covering all the major components of it. Um, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but there are 12 weeks until Christmas. Huh? Yeah, simul- uh, that's exactly what happened first service. Simultaneous rejoicing and groaning. It's just incredible. Um, <laughs> And so uh, the work on the sanctuary, I should say this, the work on the sanctuary is going to start in the next couple weeks. So in two weeks, we have contractors scheduled to come in here. We've already ordered our sound system. Uh, we did that about a month ago, actually. And that, uh, like everything else in the world, speaking of Christmas, uh, is on back order. And supply chains are like sufficiently messed up at this point, right? So um, there's a 120-day lead time on the speakers that we bought. So they're, uh, Lord willing, going to make it in January. But if you believe in miracles and if you believe in the Lord, you will pray that it comes early December and we have it in here before Christmas Eve. Okay. All right. Okay. Cause we do serve a miracle working God. We'll talk more about that this morning, but uh, yeah, that's all kind of the schedule events. It's all just sort of happening in the next couple of weeks, which is going to be really fun. You're going to get to see some transformation happening in here and getting to see uh, your investment just start immediately going forward. So that'll be fun. The reason Exodus, I know you're all sitting there like, why, why Exodus? Um, Tim Mackey, I don't know if you have heard of the Bible Project. Have you guys seen some of those videos online? If you haven't seen, uh, I, would, I would search like YouTube, uh, the Bible Project, and look, they do these really uh, artistically very well done and very theologically sound um, like snippets of each Bible. And they do different themes of the Bible and they just take you through it so you can kind of understand what it is that you're reading. But Tim Mackey has this quote. He's kind of one of the, one of the uh, creators of the Bible Project project. And he says, the Old Testament kind of gets treated like your uncle at Thanksgiving. The uncle that you don't really like is a weird one. You know, that's like, you're like, I know, I know I got to love him because he's here. You know, he's like, I love my uncle. I love the Old Testament because I know I have to, it's the word of God. Uh, But really, you know, he's just filled with all these weird stories. And I don't really know what he's talking about most of the time, but you know, it's there. I know he's there. And so we just kind of listen to him, you know? And, and I think what I want to do almost above all else is debunk a little bit of the unapproachability of the Old Testament. I think there, there, there's some vast beauty, great stories, all that live in the Old Testament. If you were to, if you were to think about the Bible and you were going to try and succinctly like break it down into what is the Bible, the Bible simply is a narrative of a creator God who has created a beautiful creation. And that creation has been fractured by their own choice. And God steps in throughout the rest of scripture. It's the narrative of him redeeming and reconciling his creation back to himself. That's scripture all, all broken down. If that, if that gospel was a beautiful diamond that we were looking at and we spent all of our time studying in the New Testament, the New Testament is only 25% of your Bible, less than that. Less than your Bible is the New Testament. But if we spend all of our time there, uh, we're only gonna be looking at 25% of that, of that diamond. And th- there's just, there's a whole other side to it. There's different angles. There's, there's different facets of the story that, that we need to know, honestly. We need to know what's going on. It's not just that, but a, a lot of statistics are really shocking around the Bible these days. Caden um, is doing a worship school down in Colorado Springs and he brought back some statistics when he came back uh, a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, I should say. And he revealed that, uh, man, in pulpits, so this is in sermons, of the top like 879 sermons, I think it was, um, the Bible wasn't even used in about 25% of those sermons. 
So, I mean, you can make all the Bible arguing stats you want about how Americans are reading the Bible, but when our pulpits are, are that insufficient in using the Bible, uh, that's something that's really scary, is it not? Yeah. And, and you know, I've, I've had people, new people who have been coming to the church and they're like, man, I, we just love how you preach the Bible. And I think I was just talking with somebody in between services. I miss, I miss the, the hurt that's behind that statement uh, because what's often behind that statement is, man, we had a church community, we had a church we loved, and they just stopped preaching the Bible. I mean, they're just not even, they're not really using it anymore. They don't, they're questioning its, its inerrancy. They're questioning its sufficiency and they're not using the Bible. And, but because my response is always to that, like, well, what other move do we have? Like people are always like, man, you just preach the Bible. And I'm like, well, that, that's, that's, that's what this is. Like, if it's not that, then what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Honestly, but it's this trend that if, I mean, if you're talking uh, 879 of the most downloaded, most popular sermons that are out there, uh, 25% of those almost aren't even using a scripture reference in them. So listen, like I'll say this right now, like I, I love life hacks. I, I, could, I could sit on YouTube and just look at life hacks all day long. Listen, like uh, the way that I get my duvet into my duvet cover at this point is a miracle. It's, a mir- it's the coolest thing I've seen that doesn't involve the Holy Spirit. It probably does involve the Holy Spirit. It's that good. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, I, I undo that thing and I'm just like, wow. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up because it's insane. Um, but life hacks, life hacks aren't going to save lives. Life hacks aren't going to transform people. So, so for as far as we've progressed as a culture and as a society and as humans over the thousands of years, maybe even just take the last couple hundred years as Americans, for all the progress that we've felt, uh, there's still a lot of pain out there. There's still a lot of people who do things that they swear they're not going to do and they, and they don't do things that they know they should do, right? I mean, there's all, we haven't been able to solve what's really going on in our heart, even though we know a lot about it. And the answer is because really what our deepest need is, is God himself. And so Exodus, the reason why we want to go through Exodus is because above all else, it's a story about God. It's a story about God and what God has done. And so if you're sitting in here today and you're like, man, I really wish they would just do a series on marriage. Really wish they would just do a series on, on relationships or on, on, um, on suffering, on joy, on peace, on these kinds of things. I would say, um, really like those topics. I think topical studies are great. We do topical studies every now and then, but mostly what we want to do is we want to be married to a book, going through a book of the Bible, because first of all, it keeps me really honest. I can't just dodge topics that are uncomfortable, right? There's some uncomfortable parts of Exodus and we're going to have to go right through them. We're going to have to talk about them. But above all else, like really what we need is you don't need topical life hacks. What you need is a better image of who God is. Every single one of us. I don't say that you, I need a greater reality of who God is in my life. I need to know how to fold my duvet every now and then too. You know what I'm saying? I need to know how to put a fitted sheet in my closet, but more than anything else on this planet, I need to know more deeply who Jesus is. And I need to be better equipped and better acquainted with the story that he's writing, not just in my life, but that he's written throughout time, aka the Bible, his grand redemptive story with humankind. So we're going we're gonna to jump into it today. And uh, really all I want to do in our time together today is just set the stage for our series through the book of Exodus. Like I said, we're going to go through it for the next 12 weeks, leading all the way up to and including Christmas Eve. You ain't never heard a Christmas Eve sermon done out of Exodus, but we're going to do it this year <laughs> in faith, in faith. Um, open on up to Exodus uh, chapter one. Exodus is the second book in your Bible. Uh, it's the second book uh, in a set of five books called the Pentateuch. So let's all just sound really smart for just a second, okay? Because I, you know, I learned that word recently and now you should know that word, Pentateuch. Go ahead and say it, one, two, three, Pentateuch. Just means book of five, book of five. So the first five books of your Bible all together represent a story, 
One story, really, one story. N.T. Wright is this, uh, he's this really popular, famous New Testament scholar. And uh, what he says about the Old Testament is he says the problem with the way we read it, I wish this isn't something he said in a book, it was on an interview, otherwise I would cite the source. But N.T. Wright said, uh, we, we would like to read the Bible in little 10 verse chunks. And when we read the, the Bible in 10 verse chunks, like you can do that in some places. It makes a lot of sense in the Psalms and maybe like James is what he says, where it has these really good facts that land in 10 verses. But when you go and you try to read the Old Testament in 10 verse chunks, he says it's the equivalent of like listening to Beethoven's fifth, 10 bars at a time. And you listen to 10 measures. Then the conductor stops everything. And he says, hey, come back next week. And you know, we'll pick it up again next week. And you just, you can't, you miss the narrative. You miss the story that's being told. And so it's important to note before we even look at this, this is part two of a story. It's really, uh, it's a story about the nation Israel, but even more specifically than that, it's a story about a guy named Abraham and his family. A story about a guy named Abraham and his family. So we're gonna, we're gonna go kind of just skyrocket through, um, through the book of Genesis. We're gonna land in this verse in Exodus. I just wanna read it to you so you can see just how life-giving the book of Exodus is. Uh, Exodus chapter one, verse one. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad. I don't know why he named him Gad. Well, I don't think, it, I don't think that's the best name. Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. So they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Read verse seven one more time. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Isn't that profound? You're like, no, I mean, not really. Like it's like, you know, the family loved each other and they knew how to have kids and they had kids. Like what's so profound about that? But this is profound. Verse seven is profound. And we're going to walk through Genesis so that you can see just how profound that is because it's God at work. It's God at work. It isn't just some one-off start to a story. See, well, the way that we like approach the Old Testament sometimes, and the reason why I think that we think it's so kind of dry and crusty and boring, if you can be honest in church today, is because we miss the fact that it's a, it's a piece of, and anytime we're reading it, we're reading a piece of a broad narrative that's being told. So I was trying to think of like, okay, what's the analogy? Like the easy analogy is Star Wars. You're, you're watching a Star Wars movie. You don't know who Jar Jar Binks is. And it's like, yeah, nobody knows who Jar Jar Binks was. Like that was probably a problem with the whole Star Wars franchise in and of itself, right? Uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, but I feel like I do Lord of the Rings all the time. So I'm sitting there last night. Katie had Mission Impossible. How many Mission Impossible kids are in the room right now? In the room, come on. Doug's, Doug's wearing his shirt. Triumphant Victor right here. You won? Had a boy, come on. Third place, the second loser. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was mean. I love you, buddy. <laughs> the shirts are sweet though. Um, so, so Katie, Katie went to Mission Impossible. My wife, Katie went to Mission Impossible. She helps with the youth group. And so I'm, I'm at home. I'm not babysitting, right? You're not, you aren't babysitting if it's your own kids. Amen's mom's in the room. Yeah. You're just like, okay. Um, so I'm, I'm with my kids and, and we do like a family movie night, you know, it's dinner, movie, bedtime. And uh, we watched Tangled. And so uh, the movie Tangled is on in the back. Tangled, anybody? You know which movie I'm talking about, right? Rapunzel, her hair, right? It's all like everything, right? It's so cool. Um, they sing and it heals and it does all this crazy stuff. So movie's on in the background. I'm kind of picking up the kitchen, thinking about my sermon for the next day. And I'm kind of like, oh, I, listen, if you like, I look down at the movie that's playing 
And the, the moment that I saw as I kind of looked down and watched what was on the TV screen was, was the moment where her hair flips out like Flynn Rider's been in her little castle. You know what I'm saying? And her hair flips out and all the dramatic music is playing and she slides down that hair. And it's this like dramatic moment where she's barefoot and she's about to put her feet in the grass. And it's like, just feel the grass, the dirt, the way, you know what I mean? The way I dreamed they'd be. And it's like, okay, here we go. And I'm like, if you just look at that one scene, you're like, what is this story about? Has this girl never been outside before? Like, oh, oh, she's escaping right now. So then you start thinking like, oh, okay, it's a movie about a girl who escaped from her tower. Which you're like, we're like, well, I mean, kind of, but like, like I know every Disney, Disney movie at like the core of what it is, is it's, it's kids that don't trust their parents, right? <laughs> so that's a whole different sermon for a different day. But like, I'm like, okay, is this the scene? Or I look down at another scene, it's all the, all the uh, ruffians and they're in that like bar pub situation, right? And they're talking about their dreams. Like I had a dream once. And it's like, they sing this song and like, is it about, is it a movie about these ruffians like who have dreams? And no, no, the movie is about a, a girl who was separated from her parents and, and she's trying all, the whole plot of the movie is painting a picture of us seeing her reconciled to her parents. I was like, come on, that will preach right there. Like next at the movies, that, that could work. That It's all right there. It's the gospel story. You know what I'm saying? So, but the danger is when we read the Old Testament, we read a verse like this, the start of Exodus, and we just see this line that it's like, oh, in and, and Israel, there were 70 people that came down and, and God started to bless them and they were fruitful and they increased. And we just go, cool, 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 cool. But you miss, you miss the amazing thing that just happened in the first seven verses of Exodus. So to understand it, we got to back all the way up to Genesis. So Genesis chapter one, this is going to be review for a lot of us. Okay. But if you're new in the room, or you're new to faith, you don't know all this story. Here's what I just want to tell you. Um, if you read the book of Genesis, what you're going to see almost first and foremost, I would say is uh, a lot of really jacked up families, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to be like, Noah, what in the world is going on here? And then you get to all these different pieces and you're like, oh my gosh, like, like, first of all, take heart that like families can be totally messed up and God can still use them. Amen. Somebody, right? Genesis starts with this scene where God is creating against a, a black blank canvas. And he just speaks, he opens his mouth and he starts putting the universe, putting the world in order. And, and I wish we could really kind of feel the weights and feel the beauty of all the Hebrew poetry that's being spoken out in Genesis 1, where there's all these like um, dualities that are happening and he's making the heavens and the sky and he's making the land and the sea and the, and the plants and the ocean life. And he's doing all these different things he's creating. And every time he creates something throughout these six days of creation, he makes it and it's good. He makes it and it's good. He makes it and it's good. And then he gets to man and woman and he makes them and it's very good. And in Hebrew literature, this pattern of structure, whenever a pattern is established and broken, there's value there. There's value deeper than just what's being said. And so he's showing us that Adam and Eve were the pinnacle, the greatest uh, masterpiece of his creation. Adam and Eve are put in this place called the Garden of Eden where everything's perfect and they have perfect communion with Jesus, with God. They get to walk with him. They get to be with him. They get to talk with him. And this is what's really important about this that you have to know is that I think a lot of times in, in especially some evangelical circles, we will start the gospel with the story of sin. And you got to remember like sin is not page one of your Bible. Page one of your Bible is this beautiful story of creation that God made everything and it was sufficient and it was perfect. And then sin enters right? Then Adam and Eve take of the tree that they were told not to take from and their, and their eyes are open and they see. And really in that moment, what's happening is sin is entering into God's good, perfect, beautiful design. And it starts to fracture and unravel everything that he's made. So it starts with their relationship with him. 
Like the very first thing that happens is they, they, they make clothes for themselves and they hide in shame. And God reaches out to them. And, and it's this beginning theme that we see throughout scripture where God, even though they make mistakes, God's gonna keep reaching out. Even though they keep failing, God's gonna keep being faithful. He's gonna keep on coming. He's gonna be relentless in his pursuit of his creation. And they're hiding and they're in shame and their relationship with God has been fractured. And then from there, what we see is that it's not just their relationship with God that's fractured, but it's their relationship with one another that gets fractured. So there's strife now, enmity between the man and the woman. And then with Cain and Abel, the story with Cain and Abel, we see that the family is beginning to have strife that's put into it. And, and we have this terrible story of murder that the family is all of a sudden in disarray. And then if we go all the way to the Tower of Babel, we see that society itself has been broken at its very core. That what we were called to do to cultivate the earth, to take it and subdue it, is now being used for personal glory and personal vain rather than to do what it was supposed to do, which was to reflect the image of God into his creation. And so sin just fractures and it corrodes and it devastates and it breaks and it just steals everything that God had intended for his creation. And it was, it was a choice that as you read it, you go like, man, what were they thinking? And the critical realization that you have to come to is that we all would have made that choice if we were sitting there. We all, we all in our lives at different points, we have all chosen to neglect God. We've chosen to do things he's told us not to do. We've chosen to, to, to not do things that he's called us to do. We've all participated in this thing called sin. And so here's, here's what God speaks. I want to show you the judgment that he pronounces on the serpent as sin enters the world. He says in Genesis 3.15, God speaking, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What, what, what God is saying right now is there's going to be offspring that comes from this woman's bloodline all the way down. And this, this, this person that's going to come one day is going to fix what was just broken. He's going to remedy what's been wrong in this moment. And he is going to, he's going to deal the death blow to Satan. But at the same time, he's going to receive the death blow himself. He's going to be bruised in his heel, but it's not going to end with there, right? We all know it's Jesus, right? He's like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. But hold on, stay with me. So there's this, there's this judgment and then there's this promise that's given. God says, I'm going to fix this. And then if you follow the story throughout Genesis, we get all eventually to Genesis chapter 12. And the Lord, if we're, if we're in the first 12 chapters looking at this kind of like big scope picture of what's happening in God's world that he's made, all of a sudden now uh, in Genesis chapter 12, the, the author brings us all the way into not just this big picture of the world, but the picture of one man, one man, this man named Abram. And the Lord says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I love the faith there. We talked about this last week. God doesn't tell him where he's going. God doesn't tell him all the stuff that it's going to be like. He doesn't tell him how he's going to get there. He just says, hey, let's go. Where are we going? I'll show you, right? And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram received this promise that he's going to be made into this great nation, his family, his descendants. At another time, God takes him outside, takes him away from the light. I just got to imagine be like camping up in the mountains. Have you seen uh, the stars when you're camping in the mountains? You get away from the city lights. You get away from all the ambient light, all the different pollution. You just look up and you go, there are so many stars. And this is the wilderness that God would have brought Abram into. And he said, look, look up there. So uh, as you see those stars, so are your descendants going to be you won't even be able to count all of them. Well, the problem with the story, a lot of you know the problem is that Abraham's body was as good as dead. The Bible's words, not mine, okay? Like, it's just like he was old and he's like, man, that ship sailed for me, bro. 
Like I thought I was gonna have a son. I wanted to have a son, but man, it's gone. It's done. It's over. Sarah, when she gets the news, Abram's wife, when Sarah gets this news, she just laughs, right? She's like, ha, that's hilarious. Like, ain't no way something like that is happening, right? And so there's just like, it's not happening. They're not doing it. And then lo and behold, Isaac, right? Ishmael, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about him in a couple other weeks when you try and force things that God has promised. You try to uh, get there quicker on your own. It's never a good idea. But for Isaac, we'll focus on Isaac. And there's this beautiful story of Isaac and how he's this, he's this beloved son, finally received. And God says, yep, and you're going to sacrifice him. And in faith, uh, Abram has to take Isaac, his beloved son, the heir to this promise that's been given to him. He has to take him up to the altar, all just so that God can show that I am going to provide a substitute sacrifice for my people. As the whole story just boils down to, man, when we respond in worship, God is going to meet us with a, with a propitiating, a, a different atoning work, a different sacrifice to take our place. And so Abraham and Isaac is this beautiful story. Then after Isaac is Jacob, right? Uh, Jacob and Esau, that's, that's a wild story. Am I right? You talk about Layla, like fighting in the womb. One comes out, he's holding his ankle. I'm just like, what is going on here in Genesis? It's insane. You should read it. It's so, it's so filled with so many good stories. We have Abram, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has all these sons. And here's what we read about Jacob in, um, in chapter 35, verse 10. And God says to him, Jacob, your name is Jacob and no longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Here's where we get the name Israel from. So he called his name Israel and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Remember that, that sounds very familiar to what God said to Adam and Eve themselves. And even though they broke, they broke that relationship, they broke that promise, they didn't hold up their end of the deal. God still steps back in and he says, now it's gonna be you. Be fruitful, multiply. Be fruitful, multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall, shall come from your own body. So then we follow Jacob. Jacob has all these sons, right? One of them, his favorite one is Joseph. Obviously is his favorite. He gave him the most like just normal name, right? Levi, Benjamin are pretty good too, but like Joseph, Gad, uh, like Naphtali, you're just like, what? Okay, what is what, what was the naming thing like back then? You know, it clearly didn't have the book. Clearly didn't have the big book of baby names. But so he names, he names one of them, Joseph, right? Joseph is his favorite. Joseph does the bad favorite kid thing. Like if you're the favorite kid, first of all, let me just say, just own it. Just own it in front of your other siblings. Just like, I know mom and dad are biased towards me. I don't know why they do that, but like clearly I'm the favorite. So how can I help you out in this situation? I just like, I would probably be good for you to just do for your siblings at some point. Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph has these dreams about them serving him someday. And he's like, listen, I don't know what to make of this, but, but I just had these dreams and you guys were all like bowing down to me and worshiping me or something. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I know I'm the favorite, whatever. And so they're like, well, okay, we're done with you. They, they, they toss him in a pit. They're going to kill him. They decide, you know what? Let's sell him instead. As, as every brother or sister thinks at some point in their life, they're like, <laughs> let's not kill him. Like, let's make some money instead out of this. And so sell him to this group. They take Joseph down to Egypt, right? And, and even the story, listen, it, we're going we're gonna to give reading assignments throughout this as we go through the series. Uh, if I were you, I would spend some time reading starting in, in Genesis chapter 37, the start of Joseph's story, and just watch all the different flip turns his life takes. He's obedient and he's faithful. Then there's that Potiphar's wife. And you're just like, what the heck is this poor guy? You know what I mean? Like he's not doing anything wrong. He just gets tossed in jail while he's in jail. He's interpreting dreams and, and Pharaoh remembers him. The king of Egypt remembers him and calls him up and he interprets this dream. The dream was about a famine that Pharaoh had had. And because Joseph could interpret this dream without Pharaoh even telling him, he just could, he could interpret the dream. And, and so they, 
uh, Pharaoh's like, hey, you're, dude, you're number two in charge. Like outside of me, it's, it's just me and it's you. And, and so whatever you want to do, do it. And so they begin to gather and they begin to store and prepare for this famine that's coming. And during the famine in Joseph's life, um, Joseph's brothers who, who sold him, who, who betrayed him, right? They come back because they're seeking really refuge from this famine. And they come and they, and they find him and Egypt's, Egypt's set in this moment because Joseph knew and he had the blueprint. He had the plans received from God. He had the prophetic word. He moved on it. They were set. They were set in the dry season. They were ready to go. And, and they came and they, they sought food. And, and here's what, what Joseph gets to say to his brothers. He says, um, oh, I'm sorry, go to the Genesis 50. He says, as for you, as for you, you meant evil against me, speaking to his brothers, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And all of a sudden now Joseph's family who had betrayed him now all get invited to come down and take refuge and to be safe in Egypt, right? So now we get to Exodus and we read Exodus one again. And we said, these are the names of the sons of Israel. Israel, like this, this, was, this was all happening. It was Jacob and it was all of his sons and they had betrayed Joseph, but now they're all coming down to Egypt and there's 70 people. And before you're just like, who cares? It's a family of 70 people. That's like some, probably some awesome family reunion to go to. And you're like, no, it's, it's not about that. It's about the fact that God keeps his promises. God had promised to call Abram a mighty nation. And this is the beginning of it because what happens at the beginning of Exodus is we see 70 Israelites coming down into Egypt. And when they leave, when they finally bust out of there, which we're going to read, we're going to read, it happens in dramatic fashion. They leave with 600,000 men, 600,000 men altogether between one and 2 million people. All of a sudden, small family, Abram, this guy who has a promise about a great nation, it's happening. It's happening. So there's three things that we're going to see over and over in the book of Exodus is that God keeps his promises. God is a God of promises and he keeps those promises. It's also true that God moves in power. God moves in absolute power. We are going to watch in this story as it unfolds is how, um, man, God's going to just absolutely flex a couple times. We're going to read about it in the plagues where those plagues aren't just kind of random plagues, but they're actually corresponding with all these different Egyptian gods. And, and God just pulls this like, absolute flex and just drags all the Egyptian gods out in front of everyone and just beats the crap out of them. Excuse my, pardon my language. You know, he just kind of beats them all up. And, and God is going to move in absolute power, uh, but none more greater than his power to save. He's going to save his people that were in bondage, that were in captivity. And it's not going to end there. God saves them. He brings them out to the wilderness. And that's where we see this picture of covenant where God is going to now, uh, he's going to offer him what they most deeply need, which is his presence. So it's a story of promise, power, and presence. It's going to move through four different scenes. Those scenes in Exodus are going to be bondage where Israel is stuck in captivity. They are slave. They are enslaved in what they're doing in the picture for us today. Because while it's true, this is a literal account of what happened to Egypt. Uh, it's, a, it's a growing movement that's afoot right now in the church today is that we want to say like, oh, well, the Old Testament has some really hard stories for me to understand. And so I can't understand them. So let's just make the whole Old Testament just kind of uh, an allegory. It's just a story. There are some principles of it that are true, but mostly it just is like, it's kind of these ideas. No, it's not. It's an actual literal account of what happened to the nation of Israel, to Abram's family. That's, cri that's critical. Every time you get these kind of movements that drift off of the Bible, it starts with people pulling out isolated little pieces. You, you know this, right? 
Like people pull out these little pieces of text and they go, well, can't you see God, God hates people? Like, look at what he does here. And you're like, man, you are, you are lifting a scene out of a story and you're building a whole movement off of it. You're, you're saying that that story is really just this like clever story that wasn't really actually happening, literally happening to people. And that allows people to drift and allow all of these sort of, sorts of crazy things happen in the church. I'm just saying it's, a, it's, it's, it's so prevalent and it's going to get worse before it gets better. It is you have all these different things, all these different agendas that get to creep into the church really because it's going to boil down to how they view the Bible and how they view the Old Testament, that it's not really real. It's just a story. It is a story. It's a beautiful story. It's the most beautiful story that's ever been told, but it's an actual account. It's a real life story that actually happened. And so as we read through this, what I want you to see is this, story, this movement from bondage and captivity that the people of Israel were actually enslaved to actual Egypt but also what we can do as we read that is we can learn about Israel, but we can also learn about our own heart and the way that you and I are enslaved to sin. And that without some sort of dramatic rescue out of the sinful state that you and I are in, we are helplessly stuck, going nowhere, oppressed and persecuted by our own sinful behaviors and our own sinful desires. And then God moves from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light. He rescues his people out of Egypt. And this is the picture of our salvation. The Passover lamb becomes this, the picture of who Christ is going to be. Almost everything in Exodus is going to point us forward towards Jesus. And we're going to get to see how, how yes, it's this story that happened, but, but also as we read it today, we get to see ourselves in Exodus' story. Because as the people are then freed out of Egypt, if you've read it before, for those of you who have read through your Bible before, you know this story. Uh, isn't it just like Israel, they're just the worst to read about, aren't they? Uh, it's just painful. Like, they, like they're being led by a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. But like, I just, I, I don't want to give myself too much credit, okay? Because I, I, I always try to not give myself too much credit. But, but if I'm being led by a literal tower of flames, I just wouldn't whine about stuff, I don't think. You know? And yet they're being led through the wilderness and this wilderness season kind of represents our already not yet tension that we live in today. That where man, the promises of God are yes and amen. He's bringing us to a promised land. I'm going to heaven someday. I've already been saved, but I'm wandering through the wilderness right now. Like there are parts of this life that still sting. I just got to tell you, like as a, as a staff, it's been a rough couple weeks. We've been getting bad email after bad email. And, and, and man, last week we stopped and we prayed for a couple of the things that were going on. And, and one of those ended with a funeral that's being planned for next Saturday. And that's heartbreaking and it's gut-wrenching. And just so you know what kind of pastor you have in those moments, when, when we're desperate for a miracle, I'm not gonna show up and just go, well, if the Lord would have it. No, I'm, I'm gonna contend for healing. I, I believe that God still rescues. God still does things dramatically. God still liberates. God still shows up and shows off in powerful ways. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna contend and I'm gonna ask and I'm gonna do it with open hands because he's God and I'm not. And as we pray and as we ask, one of these didn't go the way, John, John came up and he shared, he, he prayed. And he's like, you guys don't know me. This, his name is John Friedrich. And he, he was, we prayed for his daughter last week in service. Caden, we stopped the service for a moment. We just got, hey, we just got word that this girl was in a horrific car accident, drunk driver, head-on collision. Uh, she's in a coma and she's got, you know, they just don't know what the outlook is and it's really, it's not good. So we just stopped and we prayed. And, and 
the miracles that have happened this week. You can come talk to him after service. I, I would just encourage you to talk to him after service. That's, that's this girl's dad sitting right here. And there was just miracle after miracle after miracle to the point where there's no, there's no brainstem damage. There's only some brain bruising that she's having. She's moving the sides of her body that they said they weren't gonna move. Like, she, like she's already experienced profound, miraculous healing that doctors were not anticipating. Am I right? And listen, so we're gonna ask and we're going to contend and we're going to pray. And yeah, there are going to be times when we stop the service on a Sunday morning. And we just stop all the things. We just feel like, hey, Holy Spirit wants us to pray for stuff. And so if that's, listen, I know there's some of you that are new. And if you're like, ah, oh, my church didn't do that. Well, you know, that's a little, that's a little strange. Um, we're, we're going to be open for interruptions here. We are. We're going to pray and we're going to ask. And we're going to see that the Lord might do some things. And we're also going to be serious about the Bible. People are like, man, that's a weird blend. You seem super charismatic and you seem super like evangelical and traditional. And I would say, take step one, because our answer to that is yes. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly where we want to be. Serious about that stuff. But so God moves through Exodus, bondage to freedom to wilderness. And he walks them through the wilderness. And, and really the book of Exodus is going to find its next focal point uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai, where God enters into covenant with his people once again. And it ends with, it ends with, it's going to be beautiful on Christmas Eve, where the tabernacle has been built and God's presence is restored with his people. But here's the thing. Like, it's not perfect yet in the story. So we get to read that and we get to look about at God's presence coming with his people. And we know that that's really talking about John 1 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now we have this ability to be in relationship, to be in his presence, that the Holy Spirit's presence doesn't live in some tent somewhere, but now it takes up residence in you and me. The, the whole, the law, all of the law that we're going to read about, it's all these rules that Israel is called to follow so they can be distinct, so they can be set apart from the nations around them. And, and what we're going to know is that, man, that law actually just exists as an MRI machine to show us what's sick and broken in us. But apart from the Holy Spirit, I don't have this external capacity to just rigidly follow the rules in the law. But with Jesus and with his payment for my sin and with now the inward transformation of the Holy Spirit, I don't rigidly try and follow the rules of Christianity. I just start to have the Holy Spirit inwardly remake who I am as a person. And I'm renewed and I'm remade and my desires are different and I long to do differently. So this is the story of Exodus. It's their story and it's our story. And, and what I want you to consider today, before we jump off and we embark kind of on this, on this journey together through the book of Exodus, is I want you to ask yourself two questions. If we talk about the themes of promise, power, and presence, what's the one that's most lacking in your life right now? Every single one of us. I mean, we, we might, you might be coming in here today and you're like, listen, um, I just need to actually live my life like the promises of God are true. I've been filled with doubt. I've been filled with just sorrow, with regret. And I, I'm questioning all these promises. Like I know God calls me perfectly righteous. I know by his stripes, I'm healed. I know by his grace, I am now made holy again. But I'm having a hard time operating in that reality. Maybe you need more of God's promise in your life to set into your life. Maybe you need more of, of his power. Maybe there's something that you're just clinging to. Maybe you feel like you're in the flames right now. You're just being refined right now. And you're like, God, I need your power to get me through this. Well, then come with us on this journey. Come with us, watch, and let's see, and let's be reminded of the ways that God worked in powerful ways and how he's still working his power and his might. Maybe you just need a greater reality of his presence. Maybe we sing these songs like we did on Sunday morning today. And we're just like, I love, I love, I love your presence. And you're like, I wish that was true, if you're honest. And you're just saying, okay, I, I want to sing that song and I want to mean it, but I don't. 
And maybe just maybe through this story, through the book of Exodus, through this narrative that God has written about how he's redeemed and reconciled his people, maybe what's gonna come alive, in, uh, come alive in you is a love and an adoration just to be with him, just to be with him, just to encounter him, just to go back to your first love when you just first met Jesus and everything was so fresh and pure and so untainted by all the different things that we taint him with. Maybe that's what's gonna happen. The second question that I want you to ask before you leave here today, and this is maybe for some of you who are new, maybe you're new to the faith, is, is where are you in this story? If the story moves from bondage to freedom to wilderness to covenant, if those are kind of the four main movements, where do you see yourself? And I just, I want you to answer that question as honestly as you possibly can. Like, is there, like, it's, there's a difference between having sin in your life and sin that has you. Are you stuck? Are you, are you in captivity? Are you in bondage right now to your sin and you need to be set free? Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, but you aren't free. I want you just to honestly evaluate in your own heart, where do you see yourself standing? Have you, are you stuck in the wilderness right now? Is God just seeming like he's taking you nowhere? Like he hasn't spoke, like he hasn't shown up, like you don't know where he is. You don't know what you're going through. Israel's story is our story. God's never doing things unintentionally. He's never doing things by accident. He's always leading with decisiveness and direction. Maybe you just need a greater reality of covenant. You just need to know that God's, God's story over and above all else is that he wants to be with you. He's created the way, he's created this covenant, he's created this exchange so that you, by the blood of Jesus Christ, can be in relationship with him once again. Maybe that's what you need to hear. I don't know what it is, but I'm looking forward to exploring it over these next 12 weeks, amen? Amen. Would you stand? Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I pray that you would just compel us to, to look at your word in a fresh way today. God, I pray whatever kind of baggage or way that we think about the Old Testament or the way we think about some of the stories that you've done, God, I pray that you would help it fall afresh on us as we go through this series. And God, I, I, pray, I pray boldly that as we're going through an Old Testament Bible study, not, not in the church growth handbook, not in the way that you win people to Christ handbook, but, but man, I pray that people would get saved that they would see their role in this story. They would see who they are. They, we would see our offense. We would see the sin that we have uh, operated in our life. And God, I pray that you would dramatically rescue some people as we go through this series. I pray that you would give some people some wilderness direction. Would you be a pillar of fire, a pillar of smoke for people who are stuck in the wilderness right now? God, I pray, I pray that as a church, we would just get lit up by your presence that we would just desire and we would crave you and the things that you can do and what it's like to be with you. Jesus, thank you for this book. Thank you for this series. We're excited to go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 